This is Tiny at ObsessiveTiny on Twitter with a special Oscar showcase episode of ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. Also, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. We have uh, several different levels of subscription. Subscription? on that uh, website, and you can also leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps out a lot. Well, as you might notice, I am by myself this week. Um, unfortunately, uh, Matt couldn't be here. Uh, his father tragically passed away this week, um, so he asked me to do this by myself, and um, I'm happy to do so. So uh, if you have not listened to our past episodes of our Oscar episodes, um, what we do is we reach out to other movie and TV themed podcasts and ask them to take a category, um, let them pick what they find interesting and give their opinion. So we have quite a few this year. Um, I'm pretty excited about all the ones we have. Um, if you're looking for those past episodes, it's, uh, OV 40 and OV 95, where we talked about the past two Oscar shows. Um, it's always a really fun episode to do because, uh, you know, two heads is better than one and, 10 podcasts is better than one. So, um, it's good to get some other people's opinions. Um, this was a big year for movies as it feels like it always is. Uh, it's kind of a cliched thing to say around Oscars time, but, uh, there was a lot to choose from a lot of great movies this year. Um, some of the categories are just stacked. Uh, it was a big year and I, I'm excited about all the movies that came out this year. I wish I could have seen more of them. Um, unfortunately, I'm woefully unprepared for this episode. There's a lot of movies I did not get to see. Um, but again, that's another thing that we say every year. Um, so the 88th Annual Academy Awards will be uh, this Sunday, uh, the 28th of February. Um, CBS? NBC? ABC, HBO, I don't know, um, <clears throat> network TV. Uh, so check those out. I'll be watching them. Um, the Oscars start out every single year with the supporting actor and actress. Uh, this year for best supporting actor, we got uh, Mad About Movies podcast. Their iTunes description says, Mad About Movies is your go-to podcast for all things cinema. Each show, we talk all the latest movie news and rumors and offer a detailed review of our chosen movie of the week. Join us as we guide you through the treacherous world of pop culture and film. Their website is madaboutmoviespodcast.com. So here are the folks from Mad About Movies Podcast. Kent Garrison here, along with Brian Gill, on behalf of the Obsessive Viewer Podcast from the Mad About Movies Podcast. Yay! Yay! Here to talk Best Supporting Actor. And Brian, this is my favorite category every year. Always. Seems to yeah. be the most competitive category. Always the most competitive, I think. Yeah. And uh, this year is no different. They it's, should go ahead and expand this one to like 14 slots, I think, maybe. 14, 15, 18 maybe. I think 18 guys probably would deserve a shot at this. That's an interesting point. And before we talk the nominees and give our, mm -hmm. our picks, um, yeah. why haven't they expanded the acting categories? Why do you think that is? Because they have expanded the best picture right. category. 
Yeah, I don't know. It probably just old Hollywood doing what they do. But I think I've always felt like the Oscars should be a celebration of the best of movies from that year. Not, it should not be quite quite as selective. I think the the honor should be getting nominated, not necessarily who wins. And if you're gonna go that route, then there's no reason why acting categories shouldn't have seven or eight or ten nominations. And we, I've long held that we should just expand Best Picture to ten straight every year instead of this. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's eight, sometimes it's ten sort of right. thing. It's just kind of annoying. And it'd be interesting to see the actual vote count this year as far as the nominees go because uh-huh, yeah. you know the top five are probably set, but who knows what number six got? Maybe sure. just a few votes less than number five. Yeah. Uh, you know, Somebody like Walton Goggins got shut out. Mm-hmm. Uh, of this category and maybe in, in years past would have gotten in had there yeah. been a little bit bigger uh, category. But It's an interesting year because I think, look, it's always a thick category, but I think besides, for me personally, besides Stallone, I think Stallone has to be an absolute lock, and I think Mark Rylance has to be a lock. You could cut out the next three guys, and you could add, there's probably, I, I wrote down seven names that I could slide into all three of those places. You know what I mean? So it's, it, mm-hmm. it would be real easy to come up with another five. Who's, a, who's somebody else you would have? I would have put in Walton Goggins, maybe. Yeah, Walt Goggins yeah. and Kurt Russell both yeah. were great. Jacob Tambay from uh, from Room was awesome. Keaton from Spotlight. And, you know, Harrison Ford gets my kind of sentimental books. I thought <laughs> oh, he was That great. would be crazy. Yeah, that would be, that so. would be awesome. Just to yeah. nostalgia, for nostalgia's sake. Totally. To and uh, Gosling, too. I thought Gosling was better than Christian yeah. Bale, who actually got the nomination. So. Yeah. Uh, I share that opinion as well. Sure. So let's talk these nominees. First, we have Mark Ruffalo for Spotlight. And a lot can be said for the performances there, but he gives the more flashy performance, yes, I guess. Yeah. I guess it gives him the nod here. He has kind of the only uh, only big moment in that uh-huh. whole movie, which I love that film. I think it should win Best Picture, but it's not a very flashy movie, and he's got this one big speech that I think is why he's nominated and Keaton isn't. And, of course, he returns to this category, which he uh-huh. was nominated last year for Foxcatcher. Big, uh, big, big couple of years for old Ruffalo. Used to, I used to not be a big fan, but he's he's turned me around big time. I think Zodiac was like the f- only thing I had seen that I'd actually enjoyed him in, other than mm-hmm. the Avengers. Uh, sure. I haven't really enjoyed him in the post Avengers uh, stuff, uh, Age of Ultron, or I liked him in that first Avengers movie. Sure, but he's turned the corner. Uh, now you see me aside. He has turned the corner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can actually jump on a carousel. <laughs> While it's going backwards, he's it's, magic, Ken. He's got the, he's got the uh, power of the power of magic. He's an actual an illusion. Wizard. He's got illusion yeah. on his side. <laughs> uh, Sly Stallone for Creed. And this kind of, I mean, it was a great performance. Don't get me it's wrong, my, but this feels yeah. like a okay. We love Sly. Uh, we forgot how awesome sure. he was. Let's give him a nomination. Kind of in the same way Harrison Ford would have gotten it. Sure. How people would have felt if he had gotten nomination. Yeah. But man, he brings it. He He's definitely so brings it. He's committed. Yeah. I remember watching the movie, and I turned to a friend uh, when Sly has that that kind of stagger around the the ring scene, and I just turned to my mm-hmm. friend that was watching the movie. I was like, "Dude, I think we just, <laughs> I think Sly just won an Oscar with that that one scene. It was such no. A the scene for me was when he gets the news of oh his, yeah, that, and then that the was even better. Like yeah. ten minutes later, like oh my gosh, he's yeah. bringing it. So Sly Sloan all day. It's my guy. Well deserved, Sly. Uh, Tom Hardy for The Revenant. Mm-hmm. This one, I wouldn't have nominated Hardy. I actually like Donald Gleason more in this movie as far as supporting goes. Mm-hmm. I even like the bear more than Tom Hardy <laughs> in this. The, I don't really get the inaudible Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like the likable, intelligible, uh, <laughs> right. 
Tom Hardy. This was not it uh, for yeah, me I personally. Wish, I thought he was good in this. A movie, little too flashy. It reminded me tired. of. It reminded me of Shia LaBeouf in Fury. Yeah, like just going all out, like as Which far accent as you better. possibly can. Uh, yeah. And but he actually got a nomination. Uh, Hardy did. Sure. So Mark Rylance from Bridge of Spies is another not so flashy performance. Mm-hmm. Just a very nuanced, delicate performance, yeah. and and great. It's my choice for yeah. uh, for this category. Sure, he's second place for me. I, I'm I'm going all in on Sly on American Treasure Sly Stallone, but Rylance is is right there. And which leads us to Christian Bale for The Big Short, mm-hmm. and this is a movie with a lot of flashy performances. A lot of sure. people going kind of all out here, mm-hmm. and. He uh, maybe the least flashy ended up getting the nod. <laughs> yeah, Crazy. and he's good. I think he's very good in the movie. I just don't think that. I think of all those main those main parts, the four leads. I thought he was the least important to the story. If he wins person. an Oscar for this, I'll be. Yeah, I don't think he's I won an Oscar before. I don't think he will win, but yeah. I mean that would be crazy considering yeah. the performances he's given us in the past few years. Right, American yeah, Hustle for one that he did right. not win yeah, for. Exactly. I think this is a two-man race between Stallone and Rylance, and the others are kind of just there for to fill out the roster, as it were. Yeah. But uh, man, I would but, love for Sly to win just to hear Sly. his speech. Oh yes, same here, same here. I'm glad that the world has kind of come back around on Sly Stallone because we've always been in Kent. We've always been huge fans, and uh, and now the world is kind of getting a a reminder of how great Sly is and how much fun he is. He is great. Well, there you have it. Our picks for best supporting actor. And uh, maybe I'll give my best picture pick. I think Spotlight is going to win, but I'm pulling for The Revenant. What about you? I am the exact opposite. I think The Revenant is going to win, and I am pulling for Spotlight. Okay, there we go. Thanks, obsessive viewer. And for more from us, go to madaboutmoviespodcast.com or subscribe Mad About Movies on iTunes. We'll see you next time. Thanks. All right. Thanks to the folks from Matt About Movies Podcast for that recording. Uh, Matt threw in his pick here. I'll just uh, read what he said. Honestly, I don't know why Christian Bale was nominated for The Big Short. Mark Rylance was great in Bridge of Spies with his very subdued performance. I loved how while Stallone reintroduced us to the endearing nature of Rocky and Creed, I enjoyed Ruffalo and Spotlight, but felt like the strength of the movie was its ensemble, and while Ruffalo was a standout in the movie, the strength of the movie was the overall ensemble and subject matter. Having said that, my pick is Tom Hardy. His performance in The Revenant was disturbing and how accessible and understandable the character's actions were. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, I would love to see Tom Hardy win. been a big fan of his for a while. Uh, but my, my pick is actually uh, Sylvester Stallone. And uh, that's totally a, like, fan legacy kind of vote, if you will. Um, I, I think the guy's put his time in, and I think he he's a pretty solid actor when he's got the right role. And I think he was more than solid in Creed. I thought he was... I couldn't take my eyes off of him. I really, I really felt every single thing that was just, like, pouring off of his face throughout this entire movie. It was like... He was so descriptive and, and emotive, and I really li- I just loved his performance. I, th- I think it's probably his best work that he's ever done. Um, and, and again, like I said, there's a little bias there because it's just I feel like the guys earned it. Um, but really, I, I would like to see any of these guys win. Um, I haven't seen The Big Short or Bridge of Spies, um, so I can't really speak to those performances. But Tom Hardy, Mark Ruffalo, Sly Stallone, 
any of those three win it, I'm happy. So uh, that is Best Supporting Actor. So up next is Best Supporting Actress. Uh, and for this category, we have the Man Whore Podcast. Their iTunes description says, Comedian Billy Procida talks to past hookups and special guests about sex, dating, and sexuality. You can find the podcast at manhorpod.com. So here is Billy with the Man Whore Podcast. Hello, obsessive viewer. This is Billy Procida from the Man Whore Podcast. Hey, 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 no, I saw what you did there. Stop it. Stop. Don't make that face, okay? I know you heard Man Whore, but it's, uh, I'm not like a bang bus frat bro. I'm, it's a sex positive show where we talk about sex parties and anal and consent and feminism and all that good stuff. But I'm not here to talk to you all about my slutty sex life nor my podcast. We're here to talk about the nominees for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. And the nominees uh, for this category this year are Rooney Mara in Carol, Kate Winslet in Steve Jobs, Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl, Rachel McAdams in Spotlight, and Jennifer Jason Lee in The Hateful Eight. So let's get started, shall we? Oh, and by the way, why is the, the sex guy here? I just really love movies. I think I'm the only podcast person participating in this episode who does not host some sort of movie or entertainment podcast. I think mine is the only podcast where butt plugs is a oft spoke about topic of conversation. <laughs> uh, so let's get started. Uh, Rooney Mara in Carol. Rooney, great actress. Loved her in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But seriously, how hard is it to play dumb for two hours in a movie? Because that's pretty much the entire role. Put enough makeup on me, I'll look like a very innocent person who can hold Kate Blanchett's hand. I don't know. She has like one look the entire time. It's just deer in headlights. The one thing I think she did nail, though, was she pretended to be sexually attracted to Kate Blanchett. That is definitely a difficult thing to do. Anyone who can believably orgasm while Galadriel eats you out deserves a nomination. So welcome to the club, Rooney. <laughs> Next up, Kate Winslet in Steve Jobs. Who doesn't love Kate Winslet, right? She's a phenomenal actress. We all love her. She's the darling child of the Academy. But Kate's not even trying this time. I, I feel like Michael Fassbender is trying hard enough for everyone in this movie. I think the entire cast is just trying really hard to speak as fastly as possible to cram in all of Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. I don't know. By the end of that movie, Kate's uh, accent is really starting to break through there. This is definitely her most apathetic uh, of her roles, of her nominated roles, this being her seventh Academy Award nod. And I don't know. She's starting to look like my generation's Meryl Streep, but even Meryl's worst roles are still spectacular. Kate, meh, not as much. Still got to put in that effort. This, this seemed more like a let's nominate her for the name than the performance. Next up, Alicia Vikander and the Danish girl. Uh, I didn't want to see the Danish girl. I'm still really mad at Eddie Redmayne for stealing the Oscar from Michael Keaton, okay? So I, I just didn't want to go see him transform again. I only just watched The Theory of Everything like a month ago. I'm, I'm just getting over it. <laughs> Uh, so I hope they wouldn't get nominated for anything just so I could skip seeing the movie. And I'm kind of disappointed how much I loved this movie. I love this movie about a woman discovering her confusing womanhood in a time where there was just zero context for her gender dysphoria or for her friends and family to understand what she's going through. Alicia playing Gerda, the wife of Lily, who uh, Eddie Redmayne's character transitions into destroys in this flick oh my god she is so 
good. She is a cigarette smoking, trans woman painting badass. And I love it. Her inner journey was not lost on me for a moment. The entire film. Eddie Redmayne's character had me constantly thinking about how Lily felt. Alicia's performance had me constantly feeling what she felt. And that is the sign of a phenomenal performance of a great actress. Alicia did just that. I also loved her earlier this year in Ex Machina. thought she was great there too. Alicia is deservedly the favorite of the Oscar nominees in this category, for sure. Next up is Rachel McAdams. Not much to say here. This nomination really kind of baffled me. I loved, 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 loved Spotlight. Rachel's great in it, but it's not really an Oscar role. There isn't much for her to do with the character that seems award-worthy for me. It's an ensemble movie where really the only standout performance is Mark Ruffalo, who really kind of, he transformed into a different person. But he didn't do it through makeup or through huge decisions. He just did it with the most simple of acting choices. So uh, otherwise, everyone was just kind of playing someone in Boston. I, I, it's definitely more of a plot-driven movie than character-driven. So this nomination really stumped me because there's, not, there's nothing very special here. This, uh, this is Rachel's first Academy Award nomination, and I don't know, maybe people just thought, uh, it's like Rachel's turn to get one. This really wasn't a movie for I didn't, you know, I didn't even like uh, this movie, this other movie much, but I would have rather seen Helena Bonham Carter nominated for Suffragette than, than this one. I didn't see Dope, but had that gotten more attention, maybe Kiersey Clemens... That could have been another good uh, option. Really aren't a lot of options for supporting actresses in 2015 when you think about it. But that's definitely a problem with Hollywood as a whole. Not writing and creating these meaty parts for supporting actresses. Just something to think about. And then there was Jennifer Jason Lee in The Hateful Eight. One of my favorite movies of the year, first off. But, uh, look, I'm not very familiar with this actress like others are, but whoa, this chick was awesome. Ho! Oh, loved her. Loved her as Daisy. Uh, <laughs> she was phenomenal. Blew my dick off. That's how good she was. And, and, you know, in a movie like The Hateful Eight, someone getting their dick blown off, very, very likely improbable. <laughs> um, violence against women is not something a typical audience takes kindly to. Especially not comedic violence. But Lee nailed her performance so well. She made herself so cartoonishly unlikable that the audience in my theater was cracking up every time she gets punched in the face. <laughs> if, if Alicia hadn't made me cry as much as she did, I'd have wanted Lee to get the Oscar for a very calculated comedic and dramatic performance. So good. Uh, and so, so let's, let's talk about who should win. Obviously, Alicia is the favorite, and I think she deserves it. However, Jennifer Jason Lee is certainly my dark horse in this race, even though her racist character would never want me to call her a dark horse. Um, Vegas odds have Jennifer at 30 to 1 to win the Oscar. And that seems about appropriate, seeing as she's been nominated for a slew of awards, like pretty much all of the awards, but she hasn't won any of the significant trophies for this role. I'd love to see her win. I doubt it will happen. But if you want to put 5, 10, 50 bucks on it, could be one hell of a surprise payout. So those are my thoughts on the Best Supporting Actress Academy Award nominees for this year. 
Uh, I hope you all enjoyed them, and I hope you all enjoy the rest of this episode. Please check out my show, The Man Whore Podcast, on iTunes, Stitcher, or any podcast app that isn't SoundCloud. You can follow me on Twitter at TheBillyPercita. That's P-R-O-C-I-D-A. So enjoy the rest of the episode. And to any of my listeners who are listening, stay slutty. All right. Thanks to Billy for that. That was a great recording. Uh, Matt's pick, he says, Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see Carol, so I can't speak to Rooney Mara's performance. I thought Alicia Vikander did a fine job in The Danish Girl. I just thought it was a subpar movie. My pick would have to be Jennifer Jason Lee. The Hateful Eight was a very fun movie, and her unpredictable performance was a joy to watch. Uh, that's a cool pick. I have not seen The Hateful Eight. Uh, I, the only one of these that I saw were uh, Spotlight uh, and Steve Jobs, so I didn't get to see these other ones. Um, but uh, I'm actually going to go with um, Alicia Vikander. I, I really liked her in Ex Machina. I think she's an up-and-coming actress. Um, I, just based on what I know about uh, the Danish girl, I'm... Uh, I'm intrigued to see what she can do with that role. Uh, I think arguably her role might be more important than uh, than Eddie Redmayne's role, just to see how she reacts to it. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't really speak to it. But uh, I'd like to see her win an Oscar. Uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a big fan of hers after only seeing her on one thing. Uh, I think she's got a huge future. And the, uh, the Oscars have kind of been... Um, generous to, to first-time nominees and, and young upcoming actresses. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o won last year for her first movie she ever did. So um, they have a bit of a history or a little bit of a streak going, I guess. So I think it'd be cool to see her win. Up next, best documentary feature. Uh, we're covering this one ourselves. Um, the nominees are Amy, Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, What Happened, Miss Simone, and Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. Uh, Matt's, Matt said, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the documentaries. Though I guess Amy has a good shot at the Oscar, judging from what I've heard from the other podcasts reviewing it. Um, the only one of these I've seen is Cartel Land. Um, I may have mentioned it on the podcast, I don't recall, but uh, it's on Netflix, and uh, it's really good. It's, it's very um, revealing. Uh, it's sort of positive, uh, positive throughout a majority of it, and then uh, has a, takes a very cynical turn, a uh, very pragmatic and cynical turn. I think it's just a very um, interesting exploration of this awful trend in uh, in Mexico right now, and it's it's having an effect on the entire Western Hemisphere, if you will, if you will, uh, North America, South America, Central. America, we're all feeling the effects of this, uh, the, the cartels that are kind of ruling, de facto ruling Mexico right now. Um, it's a scary thing, and to explore it uh, the way that it is in cartel land is uh, very eye-opening and somewhat inspiring. Um, I enjoyed it. So, uh, like I said, I haven't seen those other ones, but um, I really liked cartel land, and I would not mind at all if it won. Up next, best visual effects. For this category, we had a sci-fi on-screen podcast. Their iTunes description says, In this podcast, I talk about science fiction filmed entertainment. Episodes of single films are done scene by scene. There also will be special edition episodes ranging on sci-fi topics I find of interest. 
and also original versus remake episodes where I compare original sci-fi films with their remakes. Enjoy. You can find that podcast at scifionscreen.com. So here's the recording from Sci-Fi On Screen Podcast. This is Jeff Palermo from Sci-Fi On Screen Podcast, here to talk about the Academy Award nominees for Best Visual Effects. Before I get into it, I just want to thank Matt Hurd and the gang at Obsessive Viewer Podcast for inviting me to weigh in on the nominees. So we have five nominees for visual effects, Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. So uh, I'm just going to kind of run down the history of winnings uh, for the folks who worked on each of these films. So for Ex Machina, you got three people, uh, Andrew Whitehurst, Paul Norris, Mark Artington, who have never won or even been nominated for an Academy Award. Same with Mad Max. You've got Andrew Jackson, Tom Wood, Dan Oliver, and Andy Williams. None of them have been nominated for anything as of yet. Uh, The Martian, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. One of the uh, folks on the visual effects team was nominated for X-Men Days of Future Past, one for Prometheus, and one for Gravity. So, And Gravity was a winner uh, one year, 2013. So uh, The Martian does have an actual Oscar in its, in its past. Of The Revenant, of the four names I see, uh, Rich McBride, Matthew Shumway, and Jason Smith, um, neither of those gentlemen have been nominated yet for effects. Cameron Wildbauer, the fourth name, was previously nominated for X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, the fourth nomination for Roger Guillette. He was previously nominated for the two Trek films and Harry Potter Prisoner of Azkaban. The second member, Patrick Tuback, was nominated for Star Trek Into Darkness. Neil Scanlon, the second nomination, he was nominated for Babe, which actually won for Best Visual Effects. And Chris Corbold, is the last name under Star Wars Force Awakens. He was nominated for Inception and The Dark Knight, and Inception actually was a winner. So you have one Oscar win in The Martian. You have two Oscar wins under Star Wars, if that matters at all to anyone listening. Uh, I look at it this way. Um, Ex Machina, solid effects, definitely. Uh, you know, the AI, female, and most of the film, really well done, just, just solid. The Martian and Star Wars, to me... They're serviceable. Like, you know, I've, The Martian was good. You know, Star Wars was good. But we've seen these types of special effects before. I don't think they went beyond the pale or did anything new uh, than what we've seen. The Revenant is tricky because I don't really know where the Revenant effects were, so, which is, I think, kind of, in a way, maybe is the next thing. Because The Revenant and Mad Max are kind of similar in that, you know, for The Revenant, I know that uh, Inaratu really, really strove to uh, do as much real in the in the frame as he could. So I have no idea where the effects were. Maybe a, a tweaked sunrise or or some you know surface of the water or something. So hard to judge. Um, at the last film, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I thought it was amazing. First of all, there were some really beautiful effects that I haven't seen before. Like, you know, the, the storm that they went into, I thought it was really amazing. You know, we've seen the twisters in the storm before. I have a sense that I've, se- I've seen a lot of visual effects on screen for Mad Max. But again, he did so much uh, practical effects that I think the visual effects were there to enhance what we're seeing. And I think it was done so seamlessly that, you know, Mad Max Fury Road looks so great. 
and no, nothing really, other than like, the, you know, the big moment when they go into that cloud, nothing really jumped out at me as saying, hey, special effect. Whereas in, you know, the, the Martian and Star Wars, the two other kind of big budget special effects films, like, I know when I'm looking at a special effect and when I'm not, right? I mean, but in, in Fury Road, I didn't. Personally, I thought it was the coolest use of visual effects to enhance practical effects to a degree where I'm definitely looking at something out of the ordinary, but yet, you know, there's so much realism involved in it that uh, the visual effects really were to such a wonderful effect. So um, anyway, that's my little take on the visual effects. Thanks again, guys, for having me weigh in. I'll talk to you all soon. All right. Thank you to Sci-Fi On Screen. Matt's pick, he says, visual effects is always a really fun category, and this year is really strong. I think I'd go with Ex Machina because I really love the movie and the visual effects mixed with the real world very well. Uh, that's also my pick. Um, if you remember, I referenced this, uh, this movie a few times on the podcast. I think we all talked about it at one point. Um, I was the least enthusiastic proponent of the movie, but I am a proponent of it. I think it is a good movie. I just, I think I just like it a little bit less than, uh, than most other people. I'm part of the minority there. Um, but I think it's an awesome movie and, and I think it's best for this. I think it's the best pick for this category because, the visual effects were 100% integral to pulling off the movie. You know, uh, the other movies like The Martian and The Revenant and Star Wars, um, they needed visual effects too. Um, uh, you know, that you can't make those movies without it. But for Ex Machina, it you didn't only need it, but it had to work really well because you're talking about a real-life person, you know, a human being uh, impersonating a robot or like a cyborg, whatever you want to call it, um, that requires some really impressive science and, and visual effects work. Um, and, and the movie just wouldn't have worked without it being done really well. And, and I think they more than achieved that. I think they exceeded it. I think it was really well done. Um, and I hope they win the Oscar for it. Up next, we are going to combine best original song and best original score. And our from our friend Kate from Kate's Take Podcast is going to handle this category. Her iTunes description says, Each episode, director, writer, and producer Kate Chaplin chooses a film that has shaped her life and dissects it to find meaning and universality in that film's message. You can find her podcast at d20crit.com slash podcasts slash Kate's Take. So listen to Kate for her picks for Best Original Song and Best Original Score. Welcome to a very special Kate's Take segment part as we join and partner with the... Obsessive Viewer Podcast. There we go. Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Thank you, Kate. You are the voice inside my head. And, you are uh, the wind beneath my wings? <laughs> you know, well, no, it's fitting because we're talking about original score and original song. Uh, yeah, See what I did there? Look at that segue. Look at that segue. Yeah, that's that's so, right. You know, we did this last year, too. <laughs> we did. Yes, yeah. we covered the screenplay categories last year. So, And this year, we are all about those beats. The music. Mm. <laughs> Woo, the let's soul drop it. of a movie? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 
I really do because uh, I have worked on plenty of movies before their film score is in or their songs are in, and uh, it doesn't have as much life. And you so. can change a movie when you listen to a different soundtrack. Absolutely. I saw Ask Quentin Tarantino. I'm just saying. Absolutely. Reservoir Dogs would be a totally different movie without that soundtrack. And it's funny you should mention that. Uh, so this morning, look at this. Segways left, right, center. It's like I know. I did, all over I'm the place. Just <laughs> dropping it like it's hot. <laughs> so I saw on Facebook, I don't know if you saw this, but it's, uh, it was... Um, um, uh, it was a hundred movies, or they claimed it was a hundred movies. I didn't. Care. Okay, a hundred yeah. movies, all dancing to um, Uptown Funk. I've seen that, and I love it. It's I so love good. that. It's very, very good. And the, yes. I mean, it's it's sharp. It's snappy. Uh, There's another one that is the song "Shut Up and Dance with Me," also cut to really? by the movies, which is fantastic. Oh, yes, genius. Yeah, it, music changes everything. You know what? It made me want to do two things. It made me eat. I mean, like that song's been played to death, right? Yes. But it made me want to like get up and just like boogie. Absolutely. But also made me want to sit down and watch like 95% of those movies. Oh, absolutely. I, American in Paris is oh, my, my musical jam. Yeah. I just, I love that movie. So good. <laughs> so good. Uh, All right. Should we hit the categories let's though? Let's hit the categories. All right. We'll start off with the original score. Original score. All right. Do you want me to read these or do you want to? You can read these. All right. So for original score, the nominees are (laughs) Bridge of Spies by Thomas Newman, Mm -hmm. Carol by Carter Burnwell, Mm -hmm. The Hateful Eight by Ennio Marconi, Mm -hmm. Sicario by Johan Johansson, Mm -hmm. and Star Wars by John Williams. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, So a lot of the the big hefty one that's in here, though, is John Williams. He has won five times. And it has been nominated 50 times. Good Lord. More than anybody else. <laughs> now, anyone who is, uh, and hi to everybody over Obsessed with your podcast, but uh, for anyone who knows me, knows I tend to go gravitate toward, no pun intended, uh, all of the geeky movies, the right. space movies, the science movies. That's right. And um, science movies, science fiction movies, sorry. When Anything saw, with a superhero saw, or a cape in it? Yeah, it's, got, it's got to. Something like that, right? <laughs> but when I saw this list, I kind of rolled my eyes at Star Wars being in here. I thought it was a very good uh, soundtrack, and I thought it was original, even though it was tying into themes that he's already won an Academy Award for. Mm-hmm. Plus, if it's a score list and it doesn't have John Williams nominated at least once, I'm going to call shenanigans. There is that. <laughs> I, just, I just feel, for me, that... Uh, it's while it's original, yeah. While there are some beautiful themes and variations, and I'm all about the themes and variations. Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's still a little cheap, a little bit, just a little. So it was there was I, no duel of the fates in Star Wars: Force Awakens, right? Exactly. So that. Yeah, there mm-hmm. was, it really, really was. See now, now that absolutely that kind of rules it out for this year. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a rule out. I, uh, Carol, uh, Carter Burnwell, this mm-hmm. is actually his first nomination. Okay. So it's one of those things. I, I didn't hear really a great memorable theme from Carol, so I kind of think that one's out of the running. Mm-hmm. What's my theory uh, there? Hateful Eight. Oh, man. So Hateful Eight, uh, okay, in, in New York, he is, he has never won. Mm. Uh, he did receive in 2007 an honorary Oscar for all of his musical, uh, you know, contributions to film. Mm. He has been nominated for six, six different, uh, scores. Right. 
He's to me the only real contender against Thomas Newman um, for sympathy vote or right. we love all of your work before this. Okay. But I did not like that score. I thought it was phoned in. I thought it was repetitive. It wasn't super memorable to me. And in the movie itself felt very misplaced to me. Mm. So I don't know. It could win, but I don't think it will. And, and here's the thing. When it says the word original, original score. Yes. To me, original can't, mustn't sound phoned in. Right. Because you've, it's no longer, if it sounds phoned in, it's not original. You're just, mm-hmm. you're troping it up. Exactly. And you couldn't have done it and, and knocked it out of the park, you know, with the same team in 1977. Right. Exactly. So that's why, that's why I would rule this and Star Wars out particularly because it felt, mm. you know, phoned in and it felt and, done before. Not orig- yeah. It, it, it felt, it didn't feel honorable of the title original score. Now, Right, had or this been, fit into the movie necessarily too. Yeah. Right now, had this been like you know phenomenal score, and what's the best music score? I probably right. would throw you know Star Wars right up as a contender. Right, I just right. Don't feel exactly. it's original enough. So with that one, uh, hateful eight, yeah, phoned in. Makes sense. Like that. Uh, uh, Sicario Johan Johansson was nominated for mm-hmm. the Theory of Everything. Mm. This is only his second nomination. He's relatively new at this. Yeah. Uh, Sicario, same thing. I watched that. The score was not popping out at me. Oh. Which leaves the one where the score actually really did pop out for me, even without knowing it was nominated, was Bridge of Spies, oh, Thomas Newman. So good. Um, so good. Did you know Thomas Newman's been nominated 13 times and has never won? Oh, so he's the Leonardo DiCaprio of... He uh, kind of is. Yeah. Of the music I'm kind of thinking, like, he's been nominated, I picked out a couple, nominated and didn't win for Shawshank Redemption, wow. American Beauty, mm. Finding Nemo. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, American Beauty was a phenomenal soundtrack. How did that... Absolutely. What? Didn't win. Do you know yeah. what it lost out to off the top of your head or not? No, I don't okay. know. Oh, uh, 19, uh, 1999 American Beauty. Well, you check it up. He also was nominated for Wally, Skyfall, and Saving Mr. Banks. So he's been nominated for some amazing stuff. So my gut instinct, and I think you agree with me because you do love the spy movies, mm-hmm. uh, original score, our guest is Thomas Newman for Bridge of Spies. It, it screamed. For uh, it screamed, it's told the story of the movie. Like it screamed, yes, spy movie. It screamed that kind of almost thriller no- drama feel too. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Really, and really it was good. just full production value, just a, a wall of sound, uh, done very, very well, and tied into the visuals um, extraordinarily well. I'm seeing if you can find the American Beauty Lost 2. Yeah, and I looked up to it. It was 99, but it was for the 2000 awards. So, ah, that uh, makes that's sense. Where I went, that's where I went uh, wrong. I'm trying to remember what American Beauty was nominated up against. Was it Crash? No, it wasn't that year. Let's see here. We have uh, scrolling. Uh, you know what? Let's just do a search. Uh, boys Don't Cry. Ah, Boys Don't no, Cry. Got it. That was Hillary Swank. Um, yes. Yeah, sorry, she won for actress. She won for actress. Best music. Uh, Tarzan. Phil Collins. You'll oh. be in my heart. Yeah, I can see that. All right, then. Yeah. That makes sense. But it was up. Here, but it was up. This is interesting. This is a fun flashback. It was also up against uh, South Park. <laughs> oh, you're looking at best song. What about best score? Oh, so good catch. Because South Park was nominated. Hey, we made for- mistakes in the show and we are. <laughs> you're right. Okay, let's roll this back. This makes more sense now. This makes more sense. Right, so the winner was the Red Violin. Ah, the Red yes, Violin for score. Yes, for score. There you go. Red Violin was the uh, winner. Angela's Ashes, 
uh, Cider House Rules and Talent Mr. Ripley. All actually, for not, those are all phenomenal. Those ones. are all great scores. Yeah, they really are. Whereas yes. I don't feel, see now you've got five really solid score nominations. I don't feel that this year. I don't year. feel that this year at all. And you know yeah. what? Let's go into original song because I don't feel it there either. Yeah. That's the thing. Do you want to hit these nominations? Sure. We've got Earned It, Fifty Shades of Grey, Manta Ray, Racing Extinction, Extinction, Simple Song Numero Three, Youth, Till It Happens to You, The Hunting Ground, and Writings on the Wall, Spectre. Yeah, these were some tough nominations because I wasn't excited really about any of them. Mm. And none of them really kind of like stuck out sort of thing. I mean, I will say Earned It kind of has an R. Kelly feel, but not like an epic R. Kelly feel. Mm. Manta Ray kind of gives you a little Ray Montaigne. And it fits the the movie and the visuals very very well. Slightly avant garde in this, in a little style. bit. Yeah, not too much. Just a not little what bit. you expect no. with a, kind of a, a nature based documentary. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, very different. Um, simple song number three is opera. I would so love it if opera won, but I have a feeling it probably won't. But I I did found that song just lovingly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, Till it happens to you, the hunting ground, which is this is the Lady Gaga and Darren uh, Diane Warren song, has a strong contention. It has the music video on YouTube about um, sexual abuse uh, and violence that's happening on college campuses, so it has a very strong point in the music video, as well as the Hunting Ground documentary, Mm -hmm. but the song is quite repetitive. The song that I think is the best, and I think we both agree on. We do. Writers on the Wall from Spectre, the Sam Smith. It feels James Bond. It feels epic. It is the slowest James Bond song uh, I have ever heard. Very good. (laughs) it it does lack a little bit of epicness as far as the song and the way it goes, but it has everything a James Bond movie feels, and uh, I think they got it. I think they got it. All right. Well, that's it from us. It's now back to those in the studio. Is that how it works? That's how it works. All right. Well, um, Till then. Uh, back, back to the other guys in the studio, and uh, thanks for tuning in. All right. Thank you to Kate for that recording. Matt's picks are... For best song, I have no freaking idea. <laughs> I'll go with Fifty Shades of Grey, if only so I can refer to it as Academy Award-winning Fifty Shades of Grey in the future. <laughs> For best original score, I assume The Hateful Eight will get it, and deservedly so. I kind of wish The Revenant would have been nominated, and I don't think The Force Awakens will get it. Ray's theme is a great track, but the overall score isn't too memorable. I agree with Matt uh, 100%. Um, I kind of want 50 shades to win for the exact same reason. It would just be so funny if 50 shades of gray won an Oscar. That'd be really funny. Um, the hateful eight I haven't seen, so I can't really speak to the music in that. I haven't seen bridge of spies or a lot of these other ones. I haven't seen Sicario. Um, so I'm going with 50 shades of gray for best song. Cause that'd be hilarious. And, uh, best original score. I'm actually going to go with star Wars because it's star Wars and it's the most recognizable and epic music in the history of film. Um, I realize it's a whole new song for Ray's theme, but I don't know. The music spoke to me in star Wars as it always does. Um, I, I, I liked it a lot and, uh, the other films weren't really, uh, memorable to me and i haven't seen them so (laughs) up next we have the best makeup and hairstyling category for this category we have the folks from poor man's process podcast their itunes description says teaching you to make films on the cheap or will die trying you can find their podcast at superliminalfilms.com so here are the folks from poor man's process podcast for this category 
Hey there, it's your friends from Poor Man's Process, the Superliminal Films podcast, here to talk to you about the makeup and hairstyle category for the 2016 Academy Awards. J-Rod, want to take it away? Yes. Um, this year, the nominees are, for Mad Max Fury Road, Leslie Vanderwelt, Elka w- Wandague, and Damian Martin. For The Revenant, Sean Grieg, Duncan Jarman, and Robert Pandini. And then for the hundred-year-old man who climbed out a window and disappeared, Love Larson and Ava von Be- Ava von Beer. All right, so we've been talking about this for a couple of minutes now uh, with our resident effects artists, Paul and Max. Um, we hadn't, or at least I hadn't heard of the hundred-year-old man who climbed out a window and disappeared. But looking at the pictures, what did you guys think? We'll start with that one, and then we'll kind of go, and then we'll go around and say what we think is going to win. That's a great old age makeup. Oh yeah, it's very good. I didn't, uh, I didn't have the benefit of seeing it too much. I watched the trailer. Uh, when I looked up, you know, when they reached out, when you, uh, obsessive viewer, obsessive viewer yeah. reached out to us to, uh, to do this. I watched the trailer because, you know, it's foreign film, so you can't see it in this country. And, uh, the, the movement's good. Everything looks solid on it. It's a good, uh, aging of him too. If you look at him yeah, if you pre-makeup, get, if you get a picture of the actor and put it next to the shot of him from the movie, it's alarmingly close. Absolutely. All right. Uh, uh moving along to, uh, the Revenant, um, to me, personally, as not an effects artist but as a, a watcher, as notable for making people in the, from the modern age look dirty as for the Leonardo DiCaprio got half-eaten by a bear makeup. Because it's something, something period pictures sometimes mess up in that they make people either too dirty or too clean. Here they look, to me at least, like people who would have been fur trappers, fur traders in the 18th century. I agree. And then obviously there's the bear prosthesis. The yeah, the, the gore effects are good, like yeah. super solid. I don't know. I haven't seen the film yet, you know, because I, I'm on the Academy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, um, ouch. Uh, but you know, I don't know how much of that is actually going to show up on film, like the depth of, that they achieved on these wounds and everything. But mm-hmm. I hope they do because you know his body's going to be, you know, I mean, out there for a while. So I hope you get to see some of the depth and detail they put into it because it's intricate work for sure. Mm-hmm. Paul, what are your thoughts? Just like a constant, like having those constantly around and in the same place and mm-hmm. all the details in every shot. And I don't know, well, they probably don't consider the conditions the makeup's being done in mm-hmm. for this one and the one we're going to talk about next. But just the extreme conditions on those two alone make them... Yeah, makeup freezes. Yeah, yeah because they were doing makeup in the darkest Canada at yeah. this point. So it's... And yeah, like you have to use all alcohol-based makeups. You have to be very careful because even just, I mean, everything is... Brutal. Yeah. Yeah, not perfect because things apply differently. Yeah. Yeah. You're Just also at altitude. Pore shrink. You're mm-hmm. also at altitude and things change. Poor yeah. shrink in the cold. That's another good one. Yep. I can imagine them sitting in the sitting in their uh, chairs in the morning with hot towels wrapped around their face. For sure, because you have to get the, to open the pores. You have, you have to open your pores to get the prosthetic adhesive yeah. in there. And then to the one that uh, I hope is going to win, for a little spoiler of what we're going around, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Just for the scarification tattoos in the War Boys and the scarification on their lips and faces and everything else. Scarification is one of those things that is like it. It impressed me before I knew what went into makeup, like people with fake scars in film, and just the amount of these massive chest pieces that were all just scarification. And the physicality that they had to do in those makeups. Yeah, and like, yeah, I mean, like Nux climbs over the war rig a bunch of times, and he's got big scar tattoos on his chest. And again, the opposite extreme yeah. conditions. Super heat. Yeah. Filming in Australia you gotta sweat in the through summer. A lot of stuff. Gonna just sweat, sweat it off. Everything. Yeah. You sweat, everything. then you climb over something, everything just wipes off maybe. Yeah. yeah. 
And that's the other thing is because they had, you know, they had the the, the white makeup on all the war boys, that uh, powder sort of cake makeup, pancake makeup kind of uh, white on everybody, even on the kids and everything right. like those. And those sequences, just from a number of people to make up perspective, I mean, you've done zombies, mm-hmm. you know, you get to the point where you're churning people out like an assembly line. Yeah. And they did sweat through that makeup because it was actually like they were covered in stuff. So Yeah, yeah. no, it's yeah. it comes at you so fast that you yeah. lose track of how much is actually done there. Yep. All right, so uh, to wrap it up, I'll start with Jared. Which one do you think is going to win? I think it's going to be The Revenant. Which one do you hope is going to win? Probably Mad Max. Paul? I think it's going to be The Revenant. Hope? Well, probably The Revenant. Okay. Uh, if, I mean, it's going to be The Revenant or Mad Max, no question. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be The Revenant. I hope it's going to be Mad Max. We'll see you again next year to talk about the makeup and hair. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you to those people from Poor Man's Process Podcast. Uh, Matt's pick is, I think Mad Max has his thing in the bag. That's all he puts. Um, and I got to agree with him. I think it's it's just got to be Mad Max. Um that movie has so much of my respect for its commitment to practical effects. Um, I, I love how practical effects are are making a comeback. Um, I think it's fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love CGI. Uh, I think it allows you know incredible heights to be reached with filmmaking. Um, but practical effects are just so much fun, uh, and, and it's it's amazing to see what these creative people come up with in order to you know, depict a certain thing. Um, and Mad Max just, I think did that best. Uh, the Revenant, I think deserves a lot of respect. Um, just the fact that they had to shoot that thing, they had to shoot that movie in nature, uh, very relentless, uh, harsh conditions. You know, I don't, they didn't really use sets in that movie. Um, I think it was all filmed out in the woods amongst nature. That's really difficult to do. Um, so that would also be a good choice. I think, um, trying to keep everyone's makeup on during all that. Uh, I don't know. I, I really appreciated what they did with Tom Hardy's character. Uh, um, his, his deformity in that movie is pretty impressive. Well done. Um, I think it added a lot to his character. So, uh, I don't know. It could go either way. I haven't seen the hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared. That title needs work. Wow. Um, I haven't seen that one, so I, I can't speak to it, but, uh, I think Mad Max has it in the bag, just like Matt said. Up next is best costume and production design. We're going to combine those two categories. Um, for this category, we had the folks over at Cine Realists podcast, uh, do a recording about this one. Their iTunes description says, Zach, James, and occasional guests discuss movies, movie obsessiveness, and lists of movies. Oh, and play games about movies. <laughs> uh, you can find their podcast at Cinerealists.com. So here are the folks from Cinerealist Podcast for best costume and production design. Hello, obsessive viewers. We are the Cinerealists. My name is James. And I'm Zach. And uh, we are a podcast that talks a lot about movies. A lot about movie lists, movie obsession, and we love movie games as well. Yeah, for sure. So we're excited to talk about our two categories, best costume design and best production design. Yes. And since we are the Cinereal Lists, lists is right in the name, we decided we're just going to list them in order of preference. And then at the end, we'll tell you who's going to win and who should win. Absolutely. First category. Best costume design. So excited about this category. Zach, <laughs> what is your top five? All right. So number five, I think, is Cinderella. 
Cinderella, I mean, should not be on this list. The costumes are mediocre at best. <laughs> okay. Number four, I personally, I think it's The Revenant, because I just don't think there's anything super special about these costumes. Number three is The Danish Girl, which is a movie I didn't enjoy that much, but there is a lot of really crafted costumes in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, Carol. I think they did a very good job of of capturing the fashion for back then. Uh, a lot of good stuff, but number one has to go to Mad Max Fury Road. The amount of creativity that went into all of those ridiculous, crazy costumes, it's got to get the Oscar. So I think it definitely should go to Mad Max. Whether it will or not, I think Carol is going to get a little love, but I think it definitely should go to Mad Max. Nice. My number five was Carol. Did not like that movie. I don't remember anything spectacular about the costumes, and I think it probably only got nominated because those types of movies get nominated for these types of awards. Uh, My number four is The Danish Girl, for the same reasons as Carol. My number three is The Revenant. I agree. They are what they should be, but nothing more and nothing less for the most part. My number two is Cinderella. I actually liked the costumes in Cinderella quite a bit. I think the translation of like my memory of the cartoon, of the original animated film versus what they put on screen, it actually fit very well. And some of them were like eye-popping, particularly like the blue dresses in that movie were like, yeah. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, and my number one, I agree, Mad Max. How can it not be? So if I had to give a should will, should Mad Max will, Carol. Yeah. So we're on the same board there. Yeah. All right. Next category is best production design. This used to be art direction. I think they changed it right just recently. Last couple Nobody of knows what art direction is. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the look and feel of of the movie. Yes. Right? Okay. Number five, I'm giving Bridge of Spies. I don't think Bridge of Spies should have been nominated for Best Picture, Best Production Design. <laughs> nothing. It, yeah, it's just such a... I mean, I liked the movie. Right. But there's nothing special going on here. Right. Number four is The Danish Girl. I think they did have a very intricate production design. There's there's a lot of thought going into the art direction. I don't particularly like the art direction, but there was a lot of craft going in there. Number three is The Revenant. Um, I think The Revenant actually probably will win this category, but as far as what I want, I think it's number three. Number two is The Martian. Those views of Mars are stunning, and they look great. I mean, sometimes that heavily CG'd thing can look pretty fake. In The Martian, it looked awesome. And number one, Mad Max Fury Road. How can this movie not win Best Art Direction or Production Design? There's things going on everywhere on screen. It's ridiculously creative. And chaotic. I I loved it. My number five was The Danish Girl, which is a uh, certainly a well put together movie from a production design standpoint. It made sense, but it's also something I've seen before. You could have just propped out the same old locations from all these other period pieces and thrown that on screen, and I wouldn't have known the difference for sure. Um, which sounds horrible because lots of people put lots of time into this stuff. But to, to me, it's just as somebody who goes to a lot of movies, I've seen it. Whatever. Uh, my number four was Bridge of Spies, which I disagree. Like there are shots of Europe in this that are very well composed and put together and designed. And it was a part of the production. For shots of Europe? I'm just saying <laughs> the, the shots with like the wall and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, 
that's memorable in my mind. Even the scene where Tom Hanks is in the room with the other guy and they're, you know, t- having their little conversation. Even that scene felt very like Russian Europe. It just, I think there was thought put into it and it was, no, it was I agree. Good. And I liked Bridges Spice. Oscar nominated. I don't know. Come on. That. Right. But there were memorable things in that movie to me. My number three is the Revenant. Because, you know, God is the greatest production designer. Like, that movie is <laughs> entirely outside, pretty much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a worthy nomination, I would say. But my number three, The Martian was great. Uh, not only do you get the Martian landscapes, but you get the science behind the sets themselves and the ships and all that other craziness that's going on in that movie. Um, yeah, I agree with your number two on that. And, of course, we match again for number one. Mad Max Fury Road, which is a movie that did all the things you said and had it move while (laughs) it was doing it. Yeah. Like the whole thing is like a a chase film. So all of it was moving all the time. Um, And so my should and will is Mad Max Fury Road. All right. Good luck with the show, guys. If you want to listen to our show, it's the Center Realists. R-E-E-L with an S on the end. All right, thank you to the folks at Cinerealist Podcast. Um, For Matt's pick, he said, I assume that Mad Max or The Revenant will get both of these awards. However, I'll give my picks to The Danish Girl. As I said earlier, the movie wasn't too memorable, but the period costuming and production designs were fantastic. Uh, That's a good choice. I haven't seen The Danish Girl, but uh, the previews I've seen of it, that sounds like a pretty good uh, description from Matt's on Matt's part. Um, I'm actually going to go with Mad Max. Um, I've seen, actually saw a lot of these movies that are nominated here. I didn't see them all. Um, but I'm going with Mad Max for the, the reasons I mentioned earlier, the practical effects and, uh, especially from a production design standpoint. Um, it's just so impressive what they, what they achieved with all these practical effects. You know, they didn't, they didn't have to fill things in on a computer in post-production. They, they did it all right there. And, this came from someone's mind and they turned it into a real thing. It wasn't just generated on a computer screen. That's, that's really impressive to me. Um, and the costumes and Mad Max name another movie that has costumes that cool and unique and different. You know, you, you can turn on the TV and see a Mad Max movie and you know, you're watching a Mad Max movie just by how crazy the people look. You know, it's, it's a very unique, uh, design to the costumes in that, that whole franchise really. Uh, and, and that was done to magnificent effect in the latest Mad Max movie. So I have no problem choosing it for both of these categories. Up next, we have the best editing category. Uh, for this, we got the folks from still got it podcast. Their iTunes description says, remember all those movies you grew up with, how you thought they were the height of cinematic. Awesome. Well, we did too. But now we're watching with fresh eyes to see if they still got it. You can find their podcast at stillgotitpodcast.com. So here are the people from Still Got It Podcast for best editing. Uh, hi, guys. This is Celie Schumer and Nora Olinsky. And we are from Still Got It, a podcast that watches like favorite childhood movies that maybe you haven't seen in a long time. And now we judge them with the harsh eyes of the jaded adults that we've become. And we're really excited to be on this episode of Obsessive Viewer, breaking down the Academy Award nominees, and we're here to talk about best film editing. We've got a lot of opinions about the Academy Awards, but editing specifically. 
Just specifically specifically editing, editing a Academy lot of Academy Awards in general, cinema yeah. overall. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on cinema, a lot of them, a lot of them. But these movies, I mean, it's a good bunch this year. So, it, it's a great bunch. We got Big Short. Yeah, let's run down the nominees. Mad Max Fury Road, fantastic. The Revenant, garbage. You're an idiot. <laughs> Spotlight, also good. And Star Wars. So. My, I mean, I think Mad Max is going to win this category. Yeah, it has to. But I also think Mad Max should win every category because I think it was the greatest movie of the year. Top to bottom, just mind-blowing, this movie. That is true. And honestly, that's kind of what I feel like some of the editing is, is the pace. Mad Max is a long movie. Yeah. And all of these other movies, honestly, are long. I would say, honestly, only Star Wars and Mad Max are the ones that don't feel long. For different yes, reasons. Yes. And I think that's part of what editing does is it's that pacing. Yeah. It like it hits you and it hits you and it hits you. And then when it settles down in some of those really long, like beautiful mm-hmm. shots and scenes, it's the exact right time to let you breathe. And I think that's done better than anything I've seen recently. I totally agree. Because it is, uh, you kind of break up the movie in different little chunks when they're at the Citadel, when they leave the Citadel, then they're in the dark area, and it just, it flows, but it it changes so subtly and makes you feel so differently every time. I feel like editing is sort of, accomplishes some of the same stuff that the, like, sound and music does, and it's, it lets you know how to feel. Yeah without you realizing that that's what it's telling you. Yes. You know? Yeah. So you need an editor, is the point. I you also can't have feel, not an editor. I definitely think there are some movies that you sit down and you watch them, and you don't know why you don't like it, because the story is good and the acting isn't bad, and you think it's about things that you should like, it's but the for editing. some reason it yeah. rings false, and I bet you yeah. nine times out of ten, yeah. it's the editing. I will say honorable mention, though, to The Big Short, because that yes. is a very hard book to translate a topic and book to translate into a movie and i think it was done daunting really flawlessly yeah. like it was the acting is amazing and obviously that cast is just like you know Top bananas pops right <laughs> but the editing and the way that they're explaining such a convoluted thing to yeah. a viewer who oh, yeah. may or may not have read the book may or may not know a thing and just like thinks oh adam mckay and Me. brad pitt i exactly. came in right as that person but- i barely understood i i could tell you about the housing crisis and the fact Oh, I had big banks and uh, you know what they did is is they lied <laughs> yeah. and, uh, to the public yeah. and, that, and that was my understanding and yeah. the sentence you you feel the the stakes at all yeah. at every moment and I think the same with Mad Max too but I just I can't say enough for Mad Max and the Revenant is I'm so sad that I have you know I I've seen the Revenant and you haven't so this isn't a fair conversation I, know. I maybe this. Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. Maybe I'm a fool, you but are. I you are and you hated. I hated. You the also Revenants. hate good movies, though. That is not it's true. true. I'm it's literally true. sitting it's here true. and agreeing with you about all these good movies. Well, you know, you've been you know it's the exception, not the rule. <laughs> so it's just like um, pulling your teeth. Yeah, I love a movie that pulls your teeth. No um, spotlight. I did enjoy. I really liked it. And here's, here, sorry. Here's the thing about the Revenant. I, we're done with Mad the Revenant. No, wrong. no. The Revenant is like pulling your teeth, and it's it's awful and it's painful. But I don't give a shit about anyone in it. That's what we Max, differ. I care about those people. Yeah. I'm rooting for them. I just have to want to give a shit. I have to want to see how your story ends in some way or yeah. another. And I didn't care how this story ended. That's my thing with Revenant, and I, and I blame the editing. 
I don't. I don't. Sorry, Spotlight. Talk about Spotlight. Okay, so Spotlight, I, I really, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I do I th- think it's the best movie of the year? No, but I liked it a lot, and I felt like the story that they also were telling, similar to The Big Short, a lot of moving pieces, and it's hard to do a good movie about journalism. Yeah, because uh, it's boring. Journalism's boring. Because there's a lot of things, and this, you know, happened over a long time period, and mm-hmm. it, but I think... I think they did it very, very well. I think Spotlight keeps winning things. I don't think it would win Best Editing, because I think there's a lot of other things to recommend it more. Yes. Um, and and I think the editing is a bigger part, a bigger piece in the machine of some of these other movies, particularly Mad yeah. Max. And Star Wars The Force Awakens, I mean, we know, what, we know what you're doing. Yeah. We know I what mean, you did there, guys. It's great. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I see you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a big movie of I see you. I see, yeah, like, I see you. Yeah, it's just giving the people what they want. But I cannot say enough of Mad Max Fury Road. If you haven't seen it, you gotta see this movie. Guys, it, it just will still blow you away. Got it. I mean, watch it again and again. Yeah. Uh, this has been Celie Schumer and Nora Walensky from Still Got It Podcast, jumping on with Obsessive Viewer, and we think Mad Max should win Best Oscar for Best Editing. Best Oscar. And they should win the Oscar for Best Editing. They win the Academy Award yes. uh, this year. You should go see it and judge for yourself. Yeah. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Still Got It Pod. You can find us on iTunes, Still Got It Podcast, or Facebook, Still Got It Podcast. All right. Thanks, Still Got It Podcast, for that. Uh, Matt picked, uh, he said, I'm going to go with Mad Max here, but I think the big short should get a shout out as well. Both did a great job with their editing, but Mad Max was such a spectacle that its editing was more of a standout for me. Um, that's a good choice. Um, I kind of had some issues with Mad Max as far as that goes. I think the uh, the um, lack of focus on the story really affected the editing, or maybe just the fact that there wasn't uh, a very structured story there made it seem like the editing was off to me. I'm not really sure what it is, but I, I, I just can't choose Mad Max for this um, as much as I like the movie. Um, but without question, the one that came to mind was Spotlight. I, I That movie is just so unbelievably tight. It's all woven together so well, and there's there's just so much to balance with the ensemble cast, and you have a pretty extensive period of time that this takes place. Um all kinds of facts and it's just a bunch of dialogue you know there's just there's so much to balance and that movie did not miss a beat for the entire time it it was just on point for every single minute couldn't take my eyes off of it 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 just had a beautiful ebb and flow to it um i thought it was edited magnificently um without question that's that's my choice. Um, the Revenant, again, I think it could have used some more editing. Um, it was a little long. I don't think it was too long. I don't really think it took away from the movie very much, but I think it could have used a little more uh, editing, in my my opinion. So, Up next, we have Best Animated Feature. For this category, we got our friends uh, from the Nerds You're Looking For podcast. Their iTunes description says... A weekly nerd culture podcast that discusses the culture through various segments. Uh, you can find their podcast at thenerdspodcast.com. So here are the guys from the Nerds You're Looking For podcast for Best Animated Feature. 
Hey guys, it's Pat and Tyler from the Nerd You're Looking For podcast, a weekly nerd culture podcast that discusses the culture through various segments. You can find our episode index on our website, thenerdspodcast.com. We are honored to do this for the third year in a row. We're going to talk about the best animated feature for 2015. So what are the nominees this year, Tyler? So the nominees for best animated picture are Anomalisa, Boy and the World, Inside Out, Sean the Sheep movie, and When Marnie Was There. Okay, so I've seen two of these movies. I saw Anomalisa and, of course, Inside Out. Oh, so you did see Anomalisa. Yes, I have. Oh, I've only seen one of these movies, and that is Inside Out, of course, uh, which yeah. we reviewed on our podcast. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious who's going to win, even though I don't have any <laughs> any real opinions since I've only seen one of them. But I think that these other award shows are a pretty good indicator of who the winner is going to be. So, I mean, that's obviously Inside Out, right? We, we've done this for three years in a row. This is the third time we've done it. Um, and it's always been fun, and we kind of – got this category because the previous two years we've had really strong opinions about the animated feature this year it's it's pretty cut and dry it's gonna be inside out i was gonna ask like if there was a movie that you would take out and put add another movie into this category and for me there's really nothing that stands out this year that kind of got snubbed i I can't even think of another one maybe hotel transit Transylvania 2, but I didn't even see that. Like, I know that was popular, but... I don't know. Uh, I, I wish, know you didn't like Minions, so... Yeah, I didn't like Minions. I wish I would say The Good Dinosaur, but, I mean, we both yeah. were really disappointed by that. So, I think that they probably did the best they could with the, the field of movies that were animated that came out last year. I think Inside Out was on your top 10 for 2015, for wasn't sure. it? For sure, yeah. And it was on mine as well, so obviously we both really loved that movie. I'm a little curious. So, Anomalisa, did you like it? Was it good? I appreciate how much time and energy goes into making a stop motion picture. I understand how it's made and I understand the meticulous detail that has to go into those particular movies, but I just don't think that I am the audience for a Charlie Kaufman movie. Okay. I talked about before that I think uh, Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one of the more overrated movies. I don't get why everybody loves it so much, and I kind of feel like that's how I feel about him as a filmmaker. He does a phenomenal job. His movies are well-made, just like Anomalisa was. I just don't think it's my cup of tea. So it's not a bad movie. I think um, I'm trying to review and at least rate all of the movies I see this year on Letterboxd, so you can check them. Check me out, uh, the nerds you're looking. I don't actually know what my screen name is called, but anyways, <laughs> that was kind of a weird shout out. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I think I gave it three stars because I appreciate that it's a well done movie. It just wasn't my cup of tea. All right, cool, man. All right. So that is, uh, the best animated feature for 2015. It's going to be inside out for sure. 100%. Oh yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. All right. All right. Thanks for having us guys. See you guys. All right, thank you to the guys from the Nerds You're Looking For podcast for that recording. Uh, Matt's pick, he said, Inside Out, all the way. It was such a wonderful return to form for Pixar. I haven't seen Animalisa, unfortunately, but I'd be interested if it won. I could see it winning based on how appealing the trailer was. Uh, I have seen none of these. I'm going to go with Inside Out because everyone I've talked to said it's fantastic, and this category is nicknamed the Pixar Award, so it kind of makes sense. Up next, we have the Best Adapted Screenplay category. And for this, we got the guys from uh, Midwest Film Nerds podcast. Um, there's kind of some sound quality issues here. Uh, typically, our quality is a little better than this, um, but this was done over Skype, and sometimes that's a little spotty, so this might not sound the best. 
the iTunes description for Midwest Film Nerds podcast says, Film nerds from the Midwestern U.S. review recent film releases and discuss the latest film news. You can find their podcast at MidwestFilmNerds.com. So here are the guys from Midwest Film Nerds discussing best adapted screenplay. Hey, I'm Alex. I'm Nick. I'm Tim. And I'm Willie. And we're from the Midwest Film Nerds podcast. We'd like to say thanks to the guys at the Obsessive Viewer podcast for asking us to be a part of their Oscar compilation episode this year. They've given us the Herculean task of talking about the best adapted screenplay category, which may not seem super important, but if we were doing our job right, it would require the most homework, as I think it would be important for us to read the books that these movies were adapted from to properly judge this category. But none of us have done that. So, that being said, on to the actual nominees here. The nominees for best adapted screenplay in 2016 are The Big Short, Carol, The Martian, Brooklyn, and Room. Uh, It sounds like, and I did a little bit of a survey on the interwebs in terms of Oscar favorites and Oscar picks, to me, I've been seeing The Big Short as the favorite. But I kind of, before we really get into, you know, what we think is going to win, I wanted to know what you guys think what best adapted screenplay means. So do you think it means the most accurate depiction of the book, or do you think it is the best possible, possible version of the book put into film? Or do you think there's no difference between the two? I'll throw it to Nick first. What do you think about that? Um, I think it's probably the latter. I think that, I mean, I always used to take it really literally and be like, well, is it the best way that, is it the, is it the book that was translated the best for, for the screen? Yeah. But I, I think that it's come to mean for most people, like, mm-hmm. is, it, is that a factor, but also... You know, how, how is the movie, basically? Does the book translate well to a film, not how well did you adapt the book? Yeah. But how well did you actually execute the task of adapting it to the screen? So, like, whereas, like, it's not an Oscar movie by any means, but, like, take Watchmen, for example, if you if you watch, like, that has incredibly long lengths of it that are adapted pretty much straight from the from the comic book to the screen with no no deviation whatsoever. And that's both a good and a bad thing. And I think it's kind of one of those interesting things. Like did this, did this part of this book need to be included in the film? Does it make for a better movie or did they just really want to include it? You know? Yeah. So, uh, Willie or Tim, you got any other thoughts on the matter? Do you think it's one over the other or do you agree? I think it's just about, it's about taking the medium of, of, words just printed words and turning it into actual motion picture that's the thing is it's because a book is a book and a movie is a movie and you could have the just the best you know scene for scene every piece of dialogue is the same adaptation of a book and have it not be make a very good movie um and it's about finding the blend i think between being faithful to the source material and finding the ways to make it um, translate well um, as a movie that general audiences are going to go see. So, okay, Tim, any any thoughts? No, they pretty much hit it on the head. Um, I like to go to movies. I mean, based on books, when a director say puts his own spin on it too, that's really nice. I appreciate that. Or a writer, um, director, or writer put their own spin on it. I think of like Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street. How much different that is in the book, and then Starship Troopers is really different than the book too. So. It all, it's all over the place. Um, I kind of like Cliff Notes versions of books. 
when I'm watching a movie, yeah. too, because if I want more, I'll just read the book. Okay. All right. So in terms of the actual nominees, I think we've all seen The Martian, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Correct. Um, and then has anybody seen anything else on this list or no? I've read the script for Brooklyn and um, The Big Short. And you can find them online by typing in Best Adapted Screenplay in Google. Okay. Scripts. So I read the scripts for them. I was trying to do homework. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you... Tim, what do you think, being the one who's probably the most educated in the category at the moment? I mean, do you, do you think the Big Short or Carol? I think the Big Short's the favorite. Do you think it should win over The Martian? Yeah. Um, the reason I think that they're going to give it to The Big Short, and I think it should win, is because that is an incredibly dense subject. I mean, you have to fit a lot of stuff in there and make it digestible for a, a general audience. And I think they do a pretty impressive job of that. Okay. Um, Nick or Willie, you got you got any thoughts on on why you would think something like The Big Short should win over like a science fiction like The Martian or anything? Any thoughts on I, that? I mean, idea? Personally, personally, for me, and, I, and like you said, I'm not terribly, uh, uh, I'm not prepared for this for this conversation. I haven't done all the research, but. Uh, a movie like The Martian, which I've heard is is relatively faithful to the book, um, I think for me personally that's an achievement because you've got a a story about you know one man stranded alone um, uh, with very few I mean some interactions with other characters but but really not much and to take that in a book form is totally different. You can see things from the character's perspective and and have the character describe things to you and get into the inner thoughts of a character. Whereas on screen, you have to do everything uh, purely from a visual standpoint. And I think that that must have been a real challenge to to do that. So I, I'm impressed by, you know, once again, some of this is assumption, but I'm impressed by the fact that they were able to translate that and make such a such a compelling and entertaining movie. All right. Nick, what do you think about the idea that The Martian is non or is science fiction and the big short is based on a nonfiction book. Is there any, do you think there's any more talent required in, in adapting one over the other? Um, I would say, I guess at, at the looking at the genre as a whole, probably. Yeah. But looking at these two movies, I don't, I don't think that from what I understand about the Martian is that it's a pretty digestible book, that it's pretty straightforward and reads like a, like a good, you know, just brisk adventure. Does, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. That you're not you're not dealing with a ton of really heady sci-fi concepts, basically. So I think for I see what Willie's saying. I think that I I do agree with that, but I think uh, I look at it almost from more of a directorial uh, standpoint, the actual filmmaking standpoint, like finding ways to turn a narrator into someone who's speaking into like GoPros, for example. So finding a way to turn that mechanic into something that actually makes sense, because obviously you can't really have VO or like a narrator, just a disembodied voice speaking to you. Otherwise you lose a lot of the reality that the Martian was trying to go for. Uh, I think what Tim said is extremely valid as well. I mean, the concept of all these, all these mortgages and, and short sales and, and equity, et cetera, et cetera, is, um, over the head, I think of a lot of people. And so taking all that information and then 
turning it into something that everyone can understand, especially through the, uh, again, something I've, I know about this movie from hearing about it is that there's a lot of like quick asides to the audience of like, so this is basically what this means. And the movie quickly runs through it all. And while that sounds kind of like ex- expository, just like drivel, it sounds like kind of an interesting mechanic in a way for people to quickly get caught up and go, Oh, okay. I understand now. So it's interesting. I think there are two, two stories that need needed to be told in unique ways. And it's something they've both achieved, uh, you know, achieved it, it pretty well. All right. And I guess finally here before, before we, uh, the guys at the obsessive viewer podcast want us to make our pick our, our general, our podcast pick as to what we think will win. Uh, do you think, does anybody think there's room? I, I think the big short and the Martian are kind of the two front runners here. And I could, I could be wrong. But do you think there's any room for upset from Carol or Brooklyn or Room, it's, even though we haven't necessarily seen these movies? Does anybody feel that we might see some upset there? Room sounds like such a unique movie in terms of the how how it was made and then where it takes place and all that. That I, I wonder how it was written, like in what form it was, and how how possible it seems to adapt it to the screen. Because you know, there's always those things that people say, "Oh, it's unfilmable," and then someone finds a way to tackle it. Yeah, I would really like to know more about about Room, but that's the only other one I see maybe being an upset. Tim or Willie, any upsets you might you you can foresee from Carol? And no, I think it's, I think it's those two. Um, I think it's uh, no. I would I would go with those two as the heavy favorites. All right, let's go with the final pick then. Uh, Willie, what do you think is going to win, The Big Short or The Martian? The Big Short. Tim. The Big Short. Nick, Big Short. I think the Big Short is the Midwest Film Nerds podcast pick for the best adapted screenplay. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we hope you'll come and check our podcast out. But also thank you to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast for allowing us to uh, take part in this experience. Uh, on with the rest of the episode. All right. Thanks to the guys from Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. Uh, Matt's pick, he said, the only movie whose source material I read in this category was The Martian. I think it was a fantastic adaptation and very true to the spirit of Andy Weir's novel. However, I think Room will get it, because the novel is from the kid's perspective, and the movie translated that very well. I like that pick a lot. I have only seen The Martian from this uh, category, uh, so I can't really speak to the others, but uh, based on everything I've heard about Room, it's 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 a great adaptation. Um, especially, you know, reference uh, Matt describing the movie, uh, in potpourri, he mentioned it on the podcast. Um, I, I just he, his fervor for the movie really made me want to see it. Unfortunately, it was kind of in and out of theaters here in Indianapolis, so I didn't get a chance to see it. But uh, I am really excited to finally, I'll get it on VOD or or Redbox it or something. I'm I'm really excited to see that movie. Um, and, and the the story just sounds unbelievably amazing. So I can't wait for that. I'm going with room for uh, best adapted screenplay. Up next, we have Best Original Screenplay, and uh, this is our category. The nominees are Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Outta Compton. Matt went with, uh, he said, my pick is Ex Machina. Spotlight and Inside Out are fantastic movies and well worth the original screenplay Oscar, but Ex Machina is such a strong, thoughtful science fiction script that I think it deserves it. I'm going with Spotlight. Um... <laughs> I've seen Ex Machina and Straight Outta Compton as well. Uh, I missed Inside Out and Bridge of Spies, but uh, I, I talked ad nauseum about uh, 
Spotlight. I just think it's an amazing movie. And uh, I think capturing this story and condensing it into a concise script is incredibly hard to do. There's just so much involved and it's, it involves, like I said, an ensemble cast. That's, that's always a challenge. Um, I feel like they all got equal time and, and I felt connected to all their characters, um, especially Mark Ruffalo. But, uh, I just think it was a a well-crafted, uh, script and I hope spotlight wins. Up next, we have Best Cinematography, and we're going to cover this one ourselves as well. The nominees for Best Cinematography are Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Sicario. Matt went with, this is such a tight category. I think Deacons will get it for Sicario. At least I hope he does. I didn't care for the movie all that much, but the cinematography was some of the best I saw in all of 2015. Um, I didn't get to see Sicario. Uh, I didn't get to see The Hateful Eight or Carol, so I've only seen Bad Max and The Revenant. I am going with The Revenant because of what I mentioned earlier. Uh, the fact that they shot this on location, in out amongst nature, in, in the bush, if you will, um, that's just that just comes with a whole set of challenges, uh, especially visual challenges. You know, you can't control every single thing that's in the shot when you're filming that way. So I think the cinematography they were able to achieve with the Revenant was really impressive. Um, they, they allowed nature to kind of speak for itself. They didn't, uh, it felt like the woods and the cold and the snow was like its own character in the movie. It, it was present in every single frame and it was such an impressive thing to capture. Um, I'm definitely going with the Revenants and, uh, I hope it wins. Next up, we have Best Sound Editing and Sound Mixing. We're going to combine that. Uh, the folks from Intermission Podcast are going to take this one. Their iTunes description says, The Intermission Podcast is a look into the world of movies from four friends who really have no business running a podcast. The podcast is primarily movie-related, but often the movie guys will get sidetracked and discuss anything that may be happening in their lives at that given moment. Video games, comics, trailers, and a little genre they like to call other. <laughs> uh, you can find their podcast at movieguys.org. So here are the guys from Intermission Podcast for best sound editing and sound mixing. All right, this is the Movie Guys <laughs> here from movieguys.org and the Intermission Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Lane. This is Corey Eigerd. I'm Guy King. And I'm Josh. And today we're here to discuss some Oscar categories, which will be the best sound editing and best sound mixing. Best sound mixing. There it is. And now to explain the difference, Guy King. Well, I'll tell you the difference. Um, Best sound editing is like uh, taking what is on the studio, editing the parts that they need, deleting background noise, this and that, uh, white noise, any noise that they don't want in the scene and it will distract from what the scene is. Uh, the mixing one is taking that and making it even 10 times better. You know, bringing up the EQs, the little reverb here, the little tweaks and making what they already have good. It's pretty much taking a rough diamond and polishing it and giving it to the jewelry store. So that's pretty much, I mean, they're kind of similar, and it's kind of stupid to have two. They should just really <laughs> combine them, but that's pretty much the difference between Whoa. the two. What's your confidence level? 
Uh, and that's what they are. About an eight point five out of ten. All right, strong B, strong B. Josh, how do you feel? I don't know. He gave that uh, he gave that rating of his confidence level very <laughs> confidently. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm going to buy your uh, explanation, you. guy. Yeah, All right, Corey, you're the cinematography person here. Yeah, it's really <laughs> out of my league here. Um, I believe I'm halfway deaf in one ear to begin with, so this doesn't really affect me. As long as the camera doesn't go through the grass. Yeah, if they don't try to <laughs> fuck it up like that, then it's good. But. I can still remember that. Poor Will Smith. <laughs> okay, so from what I know about it, um, Guy, you're not very right, but... I'm not very wrong. We're going to roll with it anyway. Okay, okay. I think you're pretty close on sound mixing. Sure. But not not so much editing. Um, Am I not? So for best sound editing, (laughs) we have Mad Max Fury Road. (laughs) The Martian. Now, is this an example of editing or mixing? (laughs) Editing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When I edit out all of those noises. No! Uh, (laughs) The Revenant. <laughs> that was the bear. Does the bear make that noise yeah. before it roars? Yeah. That's that's a, a, he took a <laughs> in the river and then that's a <laughs> and then he saw really Leo hot. and he's like, Rah! How dare you witness me in the river? And then they right. So I'm really interested in this next one. Yeah. Sicario? Hey, uh, where's the cookie? <laughs> he got killed. <laughs> Is that, is that a spoiler? Yeah. No. I think I heard that in Scarface, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, They're similar. Oh, okay. In Star Wars, The Force Awakens. <laughs> All right, guy, which one's your pick? Uh, since you're our sound effect or our sound editing expert. Yeah. 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 Ah, that's hard. That's because you got your brain says one and your heart says another. You know what I mean? Like it's it's almost impossible to go against Star Wars on anything, but hmm. Oh jeez. I, I but Star Wars. I'm getting ready to move on. But Star Wars has so much, and I'll go to Star Wars. I'll go to Star Wars. All right, Josh. Okay. Um, based on Guy's description and explanation of editing, I would have to say oh, no. Mad Max Fury Road. Man, that was my takes number two. This one. That was my number two. No, no, handily. Don't. Don't go by his definition of but really, but yeah, Josh, remember, but I just the, did. there's only one sound in Mad Max. Engines. No, see, you're saying they had to kind of no. take out noises and all this crap. Yeah, you know so, how much stuff they would have on oh, recorded on film that they didn't want. That's true. So in just movie. just to clarify, that would probably fall more under mixing, to where editing would be sound creation. Well, they had to do a lot of that in there too to fill in the okay, spots where fine. they took stuff out. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying Mad Max? I said Mad Max. I'm saying you're wrong in Star Wars. Corey. Mad Max. Oh, oh, Mad, Mad Max takes it. Without yeah. a doubt. So, <laughs> what? so we've got a tie. <laughs> tie. Mad Max or Star Wars. I'm yeah. going to cast the deciding vote and say Star Wars. <laughs> but my second one was Mad Max. Mad Max takes it. Yep, there you go. <laughs> and he was awful iffy on that story. I was. Mate, I went with my heart. Okay, so. I think. You overthought it. Yeah. Moving on to best sound of mixing. Yes. We have Bridge of Spies. It's a very quiet bridge. <laughs> yeah, because spies uh, don't make noise. <laughs> <laughs> Mad, Mad Max Fury Road. 
the the Martian, the the Revenant, <laughs> and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Uh, Corey, I won't let you kick it off this time. Mad Max. Mad Max for best sound mixing, huh? How about that? The saving to buy books. So I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Josh. Oh, clearly the Martian takes this one <laughs> handily. Did I you say handily traitor. last time? Yeah. You trade. I'm Mad Max, obviously. There you go. There you go. That's more uh, like it. So for, I, I'm actually for the mixing. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Um, I actually, I, I think the Revenant is going to pull out a win in this one. Mm. I'm gonna go. go probably gonna pull out right at the last second. I'm gonna go Star Wars again <laughs> to be safe. Really? I'm gonna go Star Wars again. Huh? Just because it's hard to go against Star Wars. I want to win. I want to win. I want Star Wars to win everything. So, I'm picking with my heart. I don't think Star Wars is going to have a clean sweep. Uh, I don't think they're going to win anything. I think you're crazy and high. They, they may not. <laughs> they probably won't. I think they'll win. Historically, Maybe special they, they effects. Do they? Huh? Have they ever won any like big awards like yeah, that? Surely. I don't have. really know. I'm sure they have. I feel like I heard somewhere that they're like, ah, eh, Star Wars usually gets snubbed. Lord of the Rings won a bunch. Yeah, but that's not Star Wars. They didn't have lasers in Lord of the Rings. That's true. That's what normally anything lasers or action. Tell you what, they could have took a lot more works down if they did have lasers. <laughs> it would have worked that's, pretty well. True. Um, <laughs> they've definitely won some awards. All right. <laughs> so you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Star Wars will not win any awards. Oh, but why are you against Star Wars? I'm not. I'm just against awards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, so that wraps things up for the sound mixing and sound editing categories. A uh, little disclaimer, I don't think we really knew what we were talking about this year. We totally I did. think we did. I think we picked I'm though. pretty sure we did. All right, so um, be sure to check us out at movieguys.org. Bye, friends. Bye. Toodaloo. All right, thanks to the guys from the Intermission Podcast for that recording. Matt said, I forget the actual difference between mixing and editing, and don't have the time to look it up as I'm writing this, but I think Star Wars had some great sound work. In particular, the sound design when Kylo uses the Force is so booming and imposing. I like that a lot. I'm actually going with the Revenant for both of these. Again, out amongst nature, uncontrollable forces, uh, just really difficult work, I think, and they pulled it off really well. Um, I think all of the dialogue was captured um and there was nothing that was muffled even though it felt very real and like you were present amongst these conversations and all that was going on it's kind of funny because a lot of the movie follows uh a man who's by himself who doesn't say much um but again i think that's a challenge and a challenge you know amongst itself to to capture that and still have quality sound work so i'm going with the revenant for these two categories up next, we have Best Director, and we're going to cover this one ourselves as well. The nominees for Best Director is Adam McKay for The Big Short, George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu for The Revenant, Lenny Abramson for Room, and Tom McCarthy for Spotlight. Matt said, I would like to see George Miller win for Mad Max. His age when he made this movie makes it impressive, but I'd argue that anyone making a movie as audacious as this one would deserve to win. 
However, Lenny Abramson also did an incredible job with Room. Uh, my pick is Tom McCarthy for Spotlight. Uh, I've been raving about this movie um, all episode. I talked about it a lot in our past episodes. Um, I was just impressed with what he was able to achieve. Um, keeping everything so concise and, and, and focusing on the right parts and uh, just getting those performances out of those actors was just really impressive. I mean, he had a, he had a fantastic cast um, as demonstrated by uh, Mark Ruffalo and uh, Rachel McAdams being nominated for, for best supporting actor and actress respectively. Uh, getting those performances out of those actors is an impressive feat, uh, giving them all equal time and um, making sure all those characters are well-rounded uh, all while paying perfect homage to the to the story and you know the real life story that that happened um i think he he pulled off an incredible balancing act and and did it just did it so well it the the movie just it moved me personally um and it meant so much to me personally that uh i'm like kind of indebted to tom mccarthy for doing such a great job with this so he is my choice for best director all right on to best actress we're in the home stretch here we're going to cover this one ourselves as well. Uh, the nominees for Best Actress are Kate Blanchett and Carol, Brie Larson and Room, Jennifer Lawrence and Joy, Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, and Saoirse Ronan in Brooklyn. Matt said, Brie Larson all the way. She gave an incredible performance that had me tearing up in the opening scene. Saoirse Ronan did a fantastic job in Brooklyn as well. Any other year and she would have it. Uh, I like that pick a lot, and that's what I'm going with as well. Um, I didn't get to see any of these. I haven't seen any of these performances, but again, based on what I know about Room, and, and even just based on the trailer for it, uh, I think Brie Larson probably takes the cake on this one. Um, I've been a big fan of hers for a while. I mean, probably the last four or five years I've been thinking, she's going to blow us all away coming up here pretty soon. She's going to get the right role in the right movie and it's going to be the right timing and everyone's going to see it and they're going to be blown away. Um, I hope this movie is that for her. Uh, she's great and I want to see her win an Oscar. She's my pick. On to best actor. We're covering this one too. Uh, the nominees are Brian Cranston for Trumbo, Matt Damon for the Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio for the Revenant, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs and Eddie Redmayne for the Danish girl. Matt said, this is another stacked category. My pick is Leo, though, obviously. If he, if he finally wins, I'll be glad it's for a performance so worthy of it. Um, this is a crazy stacked category. I mean, these are like powerhouse actors. Um, I, I haven't seen all of these, but man, this is just a, such a great category this year. Um, it seems like this has been one of the best categories over the past couple of years. Um, uh, when Matthew McConaughey won it, um, was that last year or the year before? I don't remember, but that was, that was a huge year for best actor. And it's just been such a competitive category over the past couple of years. I am going with Leonardo DiCaprio as well. Um, this is also kind of a timing thing. The guy's just earned it. Uh, he, he's been nominated so many times and you know, he, it felt like he was a shoe in so many times in the past. And, this time it feels like he's the shoe in. I mean, it's just like, I, I don't, I, it'd be crazy for them not to give it to him. Um, even though 
Brian Cranston is an actor who's been around for a long time, has tons of friends in the industry. Uh, undeniably one of the best acting workers, best working actors right now. Uh, Matt Damon is a fan favorite and I can't take anything away from his performance in the Martian. I thought he was great. Um, Michael Fassbender had a really difficult job. It's always difficult to be the lead in a, um, Aaron Sorkin movie because his dialogue is so difficult and he fit in like a glove. I, I really was impressed with him. Eddie Redmayne, I have not seen the Danish girl. Um, but he's never not impressed me, uh, regardless of how small his roles are and anything I've seen him in. So I think he's also one of the best working actors right now. Um, he's going to probably win a few more Oscars in his career. Um, but again, I just have to go with Leonardo DiCaprio. He was so haunting and just, just fell into this, this role and embraced it so much. I mean, the guy was just a rag doll throughout this movie who just went through the most physically demanding journey that a person can go through. I think it's just really impressive. Um, and, and even though he was acting, I think the guy went through some serious trauma for this role. Um, and, and it was such a, such a physical role that required, an incredible, incredible emotive performance from him as opposed to just, you know, using inflection in his voice or adapting a foreign language or some kind of crazy accent or something. There wasn't a lot of flash to this character like that. It was all just a very on the surface, uh, very blunt performance. And not every actor can handle that, but, uh, Leo just knocked it out of the park. So, um, not a difficult choice for this category, Leo DiCaprio. Now to the big show, Best Picture. We're covering this one as well. The nominees are The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Matt said, This was a fantastic year for movies, and I think the Best Picture nominees reflects the quality of the year well. My pick for Best Picture is The Revenant. I don't think Mad Max should have been nominated. It was great as a spectacle, but it was lacking in story, and I think that should definitely count when it comes to Best Picture. So my pick is The Revenant. It was great. Uh, my pick is Spotlight. I mentioned that it was uh, it was my number one movie for the year in our year in review episode, and uh, of these of these movies that were nominated, it just spoke to me the most, and, and it meant the most to me personally. And uh, I know that's not necessarily the best reason to pick something, but uh, I just I, I can't disconnect from it that way. I can't be very objective when it comes to Spotlight. So uh, it was my movie of the year, and I think it deserves to win for Best Picture. I don't think it will, but uh, I think I'm glad it was nominated, and it's it's, it's my choice. Um, I just think it's a really important movie. I, I think a lot of people forgot about this. You know, it's it's kind of a running joke about what happened with the Catholic Church and priests and all that stuff. It's kind of a running joke, but people kind of forget that it's real. And it's this thing that's it's a documented systemic issue with this this uh, company. I don't I don't know what to call the Vatican or Catholicism. This whole system. It's just a, a, a glaring issue with the system. And I don't think everyone really thinks of it that way. And they should. And, and this movie shines a spotlight on that, pun intended. 
Uh, I just think it's a really important movie, and I thought it was done spectacularly well. So uh, it is my pick for Best Picture. Thank you for joining us for our Oscars episode. Um, I wish Matt could have been here. I wish we could have had Mike with us. Uh, it's always fun to talk about the Oscars. I love the Oscars uh, still, despite all its shortcomings. Uh, it's 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 so glamorous and esteemed, and I, I, I think it's it still means something to me. So I'm always a, a big fan of the Oscars. Um, for uh, Matt, he had some closing thoughts. He just wanted to say uh, thanks for listening to this year's Oscar nominee showcase episode. I'm sorry I couldn't be a part of it. Make sure you check out the shows that submitted clips to this year's showcase. That's also really important. Thank you so much to the uh, podcasts who uh, submitted recordings for us. Uh, we had more than we've ever had this year. That was uh, very nice of them to do. They don't have to do that, um, but they, they choose to take the time to send us recordings. So we really appreciate that. Um, I think that's about it for this episode. I'm going to forego potpourri. This is probably going to be a pretty long episode anyways. So, um, thank you for joining us. Tune in to the Oscars. Uh, let us know what you thought of our picks, who you guys are picking. Um, thanks for joining us and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the obsessive viewer presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt tiny or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com check out the obsessive viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and tv reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment you can also like us on facebook at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on twitter at obsessive viewer at obsessive tiny and at i am mike white if you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>